Hello and welcome to a flat pack history of Sweden, the podcast that takes you on a chronological journey through Swedish history. I'm Elsa. And I'm Chris, and this week's episode is a bit of a strange one, but also a special one. As we mentioned in our last episode, we've now moved, or sort of still in the process of moving. We've moved into our new flat, but we don't have much furniture yet, so we have no sofa, no desk, no proper place to record yet, and of course, books everywhere, and all of the rooms are equally as echoey and horrible to record in, it seems like, so we're actually in the kitchen, if it sounds a bit strange. Yeah, but this will still be our first recording in the new flat, so that's worth mentioning. On top of all the moving-related stuff, uh, as our social media followers have seen, we spent all of last week down in Skåne for a number of reasons, including a friend's wedding, so there was no research time, really. But we did manage to fit in a few visits to historical places. And so this has been a bit of a perfect storm, really, as we've both been really busy with work for the last few months or so, too. And we've reached a really crazy period in the podcast. I know we basically said that since the son of Olof Rödkönung episode way back when. But the next period is really going to continue the theme of Magnus's reign with changing alliances, loads of battles and political intrigue. So we need to spend a few more weeks sitting down and getting our heads around all what's going to happen. We also saw in our last episode that Magnus lost Skåne after holding it for about two decades. So we thought we would talk through the things uh, that we've seen on our trips to Skåne, talk a bit about what Magnus has lost, and also catch up with a few new reviews and things that have come in over the last couple of weeks. So there will be history content, and uh, we felt like we should put something out at least, especially as there are quite a few of you who are now listening each week, waiting for each episode as you've caught up to the latest thing that we've released. And so we didn't want to leave you having an empty second Sunday, especially since some of you have been with us since the very beginning. But as always, we need to kick off the episode with a Swedish phrase of the week. And once again, our listener and Swedish phrase expert Magnus has sent us a few new suggestions, which we are very grateful for. This is one of the ones Magnus suggested just a few days ago. Yes, and the phrase this week is passa som handi handska, which literally translates to to fit like a hand in a glove. And it's quite self-explanatory. It simply means to fit perfectly. So you could say, for example, nice new suit. It fits you som handi handska, like a hand in a glove. But it could also be used more figuratively to describe something that is a good match or fit. Yeah, that's a nice and easy phrase there and quite a useful one. And so now onwards with our special episode about Skåne. It's come up time and time again in the podcast and obviously you take any opportunity to show your local patriotism, don't you, Orsa? But uh, maybe we should still do a bit of a quick recap about what Skåne actually is to make sure everyone's on the same page. Good idea. Skåne is one of modern-day Sweden's 21 counties. It consists of 
basically the southern tip of the country and borders Halland in the northwest, Småland in the north and Blekinge in the northeast. The Öresund Strait separates Skåne from the Danish island Sjelland or Sealand in English and across the strait the Öresund Bridge connects Copenhagen with Skåne's largest city Malmö. And off the south coast, there is the Danish island of Bornholm, which we once got stuck on. Um, but that's a story for another time, perhaps. Yeah, it's a story of uh, boats, storms, and uh, free hotels. Yeah. So maybe we'll tell that one day. But uh, for fans of Scandinavian crime series and novels, the Öresund Bridge is where the TV series The Bridge takes place. The series illustrates in quite a nice way how connected the overall region is because people in Malmö or the western side of Skorna in general sometimes commute across to work in Copenhagen or they go there uh, for the, the main airport because Copenhagen's airport, Kastrup, is pretty much the biggest one around. You'd much easily find a flight from there compared to going anywhere from somewhere like Malmö. And uh, they generally people in Skorna want to go to Copenhagen if they want to go to a big city and find all the things that happen in a big city just like what I did last week when I went to see the prog legend that is Neil Morse play a concert there whilst also sat outside in a pub eating chips yeah and there's always been that Danish Skånsk connection more than anything because of the geographical proximity I suppose but then also Skåne was Danish for a large period of our history a fun trivia fact to keep in mind as we journey through Swedish history, and one which we might have already mentioned, but Finland has been Swedish for a longer period of time in history than Skåne has. Yeah, that's an interesting fact to think about, and I'm pretty sure we mentioned it in the Welcome to Finland episode. But yeah, nowadays Skorn is catching up every year as we go forward, though. I don't know how, how far in the future we have to go before they catch up with each other. I think it's still a couple of hundred years before, uh, before we catch up. Yeah, because Finland, I guess, is about 800 or so years, give or take. And so Skorn has only been for nearly 400 or so. Mm -hmm. So yeah, nearly double as long, actually, <laughs> if you look at it that way. Um, but heading back even longer than that, a thousand years or so, that was when Skorna first became part of the Danish kingdom when that kingdom was formed. And that was when the Viking Harold Bluetooth, he had great connectivity and the <laughs> greatest Viking name ever. Uh, <laughs> he, when, it was when he became the first ruler of an entity known as Denmark in the late 900s. And Skorna's a part of that journey. Skorna then stays Danish all the way up until when King Magnus buys it in the 1300s which we've just seen and whilst it doesn't become part of Sweden as such it's ruled by a separate king who happens to be the Swedish king at the same time and like we said we just we covered that recently. Slight spoilers for what's to come but we won't tell you how just that Skåne will go back to being Danish and remain an integral part of the Danish kingdom until 1658. At the Peace of Roskilde, which was one of the treaties in the Second Northern War, 
a war that's not to be confused with the Great Northern War, but Sweden was able to demand getting the Skåne counties from Denmark after King Carl Gustav X had fought a successful war against Denmark in 1657. Huzzah! And uh, the Skåne counties, by the way, is uh, what they're usually called in Swedish. So they'll be called the Skåne landscape in Swedish and this is a phrase that comes up every now and then but especially back in uh, when you're looking back then in the 1600s and the 1300s and such and in fact I think we actually heard Thomas use that phrase in our Battle of Visby episode is the, the direct translation from the Swedish and it actually refers to not just Skorna but the modern day counties of Skorna, Blekinge and Halland along with the islands that surround them like the Isle of Ven in Urgesund and this whole territory has a long history of being Danish together as one bit. And so the Skorna landscapes is often used when referring to the whole Danish territory east of the Øresund Strait. It's uh, not, if you're not talking about just Skorna or just Halland, if you're talking about all three of them at once, then it's good to know that this is when people might use the phrase the Skorna landscapes. And uh, yeah, so it's a bit more than just Skorna. And so it is this historically Danish part of Sweden that we, as a couple, go to quite frequently because, well, I'm from there, my whole family basically is from there, and most of them still live there. Plus, it's just a nice little corner of the world, especially in summer. We have a few favourite spots in Skåne that if you follow us on social media, you will have seen us posting photos from there. And one of them is Alestenar. Yes, the stone ship monument Alestenar, which we talked about all the way back in episode 8, because, yeah, it's just that old, really. The stone circle, or looks more of an oblong, measures about 67 metres in length and 19 metres across, and is made up of 59 boulders, and it's believed to be from the early Iron Age, so that's sometime between 500 and 1000 uh, CE. Historians and archaeologists have been unable to say exactly what it was and when it was put together, mainly because it's hard to get any information from archaeological digs at the site because the ground has been disturbed so much after it was made, including the building of a bunker there during World War II and cows are roaming about all over the place and pooping and scraping at the grass and everything. So it's a bit of a nightmare to try and investigate. And of course, archaeologists and historians all have different theories as well so uh, it's a bit hard to put an exact finger on what it is but based on studies of similar sites it's been suggested that it's some sort of burial site or maybe a memorial. Regardless of why it was originally built and what it was used for the place itself is just extraordinary. The stone ship sits on top of a large hill on the south coast of Skåne facing the sea so when you're there, you can look out over the sea and see the open horizon. And because there's no houses or anything right nearby, you can just enjoy the peace and tranquility. Yes, even if you might be interrupted by the occasional mooing of cows or people coming to take selfies as tourists and things like that, it's still a great place to actually go to and really tranquil with that amazing view. And not that far from Alastaina is the town of Ustad, where also grew up, and it's also a place which we naturally go to all the time. Indeed, 
I didn't appreciate it growing up, but it is a nice little town with a town centre that still retains its medieval streets and lots of old houses. Actually, down the street from the house I grew up in, there is the oldest half-timbered house in Scandinavia, for example. It was built in the 1480s. As in the oldest one that's still being used as a house. Yeah. Half-timbered houses, uh, in case you're not super familiar with that, is a method of building houses where walls are constructed with thick timber frames and the spaces in between the timber are filled with brick and sometimes the brick is then plastered over and painted. It's a pretty common construction method across Northern Europe in the Middle Ages and towns in Sweden like Ustad and in all over the south of Sweden still have quite a few of these preserved. In Ustad, though, it's not just the houses that are preserved from the Middle Ages, but so is the tradition of the Tower Watchman. And the Tower Watchman is a sort of medieval version of a fire alarm. They worked at the top of the church tower at night, and from the little room up there, they kept watch over the town, keeping an eye out for any fires or attacks from the sea and other dangers. And the one in Ustad is actually one of only two in all of Europe that's still going. There is a person up there that does this crazy crazy job. So tell us what that crazy job is, Orsa. Yeah, so if all is calm and well, he gets his large horn out and sounds one signal in each direction at quarter past the hour, then two signals at half past, three at quarter two, and four at the stroke of the hour, all through the night. So back in the day, if the people of the town heard the sound, they knew that there was nothing to worry about. If, however, the tower watchman spotted a fire or any other danger, instead of blowing the horn, they'd hang out a lantern or a flag in the direction of the danger so people could just look up at the church tower and then they'd know which way to head to lend assistance or or which way to run away from, I suppose. Now, this might seem like a very cumbersome method of keeping watch over the town, but if we consider how many towns and cities were ravaged by fire in the Middle Ages, and also how often Denmark and Sweden fought over mastery of Skåne, it was probably a worthwhile investment to have this person keeping a constant lookout of the town. Yeah, and nowadays it remains an appreciated tradition in Ustad with no real practical purpose other than it reminds people of what it was like to live in the town hundreds of years ago. And it's also a bit weird that he didn't blow the horn when there was a problem instead of blowing it when there wasn't, because that seems a bit bit counterintuitive, but there you go. I actually know the answer to that. The current Tower Watchman was asked by the local newspaper why it is, and supposedly... We, as humans, we become very accustomed to regular noises. Uh, perhaps if you, uh, if you live near a train line and a train comes by at very regular intervals, you get very used to that. So, supposedly, we actually notice the absence of a sound more than we notice a new sound. And that's the reason why the alarm is the absence of the horn blowing and the natural state of things is that the horn blows. I have no science to back this up with, but 
this is supposedly the idea behind the practice of the Tower Watchman. Yeah, okay, if you were just going to blow it once and just go, burp, people might miss it. But surely if you're being attacked, you just blow it a thousand times. It's That would wake people up. Yeah. But hey-ho. Having grown up in Ustad, I can attest to the fact that you become very used to this horn sounding. It's quite a low symbol. It's like a... I don't think I've even heard it. See, you're so used to it, you don't even hear it. (laughs) It also depends greatly on the wind direction, whether you hear the sound or not. Well, now everybody in Sweden has like triple glazed windows, (laughs) so that keeps the sound out a lot. That's uh, also probably one reason that they heard it better in medieval times, because the windows and walls weren't as thick as they are today. And it's a bit of a medieval tradition in the sense that the person who does it at the moment inherited, sort of speak, the job from his dad, Yes, correct. Been in the family for ages. And uh, he has to work from sort of, when is it, like 9pm to 4am or something? I I think recently, when I say recently, I mean a few decades ago, it was cut back till that it ends at one o'clock. So it's 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. So if you're Danish and you want to invade, you come at 2 a.m. <laughs> exactly. Come after 1. And didn't he fall asleep watching the football or something once and he missed it? He has missed it He's missed it, it like once. twice in his life or something. And apparently the current Tower Watchman is a huge Elvis fan. So he has like a poster of Elvis Presley up in the tower and he likes to listen to Elvis records in the 15 minutes between each sounding of the horn. That's what he does. And he's paid by the council, isn't he? He is paid by the council and he has no lavatory up there. So he either needs to be quick about it, run down all the stairs to the church tower and back in the 15 minutes between each sound, or, uh, yeah, hold it in for the four hours he's working. Or pee off the edge. <laughs> or, or pee out the church tower, which uh, I hope he's never done. I bet one of them throughout history must have done that once. And then before we move on, because this is all just us rambling on about the Tower Watchmen, but isn't it somewhere like Rostock or somewhere, which is the only other one that has it? It's a German place, but it's not all year round. It's like a tourist thing for summer or something. So he's the only full-time one. He's the only full-time one. He's very lonely in his union meetings. (laughs) The union of Tower Watchmen have died out a bit since the Middle Ages. And yeah, I think it's a town in Germany that also has one, but... Yeah, not all year round. And the the trumpet, the picture of uh, like an image of him blowing the trumpet is the sort of town symbol of Ustad. So Correct. it's on like the newspaper and on the council website and everything, and all the shops have it in their windows and the mm-hmm. post and stuff. So yeah, you you see this trumpet man everywhere you go around Ustad. Now, moving on from the Tower Watchman, we've already made a reference to Scandinavian crime series, and now that we're talking about Ustad. I can't help but do one more. Ustad is the setting of the crime novels about Inspector Kurt Wallander by the author Henning Mankel. They've also been turned into films and series here in Sweden, and there's a BBC series from 2008 in English where the role of Inspector Wallander, or Wallander, as they call him in English, is played by British actor Kenneth Branagh. And they're all filmed in Ustad. But you were in it. I was in it, indeed, with my mother. What did you do? I cried at a wedding. Oh, nice. I thought you were, like, shopping or something in this walking down the street. No, we cried at a wedding. Because it was such a terrible wedding. 
We were extras at a scene that was like a wedding reception, and we were supposed to be shocked and sad. You were in another. Oh, you were in a funeral as well on Netflix. Uh, yeah, where about young royals thing about the Swedish prince who becomes going to be the king because his older brother dies. That that came out a couple of years I ago. Was. I was. I specialize in crying on film, but as an extra, apparently. And if you watch that, it's really funny because they filmed that during Corona, and so you're in this giant church, but there was only allowed to be sort of ten extras there. So they've actually co- copied and pasted yep. all the audience members filling up the whole church so if you look for Orsa's bright blonde hair and the black hat in this funeral scene I think in the first episode of this Young Royals Netflix thing um, you can see she's actually in it about 15 times yeah, because they... we were green screened in to make it look uh, like there were more people so yeah go to find uh, on Netflix I think it's called The Young Royals yeah, in English it was um, a good series uh, yeah, it was alright uh, enough about Orsa's stardom. Uh, it's time to move along the coast a bit and go to the town of Simrisham. And Simrisham sits on the southeastern tip of Skorna, and it was once a bustling fishing port where fishermen landed herring after they'd been out into the Baltic Sea. But it isn't really known for its fishing anymore. No, but fishing and trading in herring was an important part of Skorna's economy in the Middle Ages. And... Whilst we've moved on to diversify both our economy and our cuisine since, you can still find some nice fried herring served with mashed potato if you go to the harbour in Simrisamen. And if you're like me, a sensible person who doesn't eat the uh, slightly odd fish that the Swedes seem to believe you can cook and serve in an unlimited number of ways at any given occasion, you can always eat something else when you're there, like uh, the burger I had when we were there last week. (laughs) True, but still, try the herring. It's good. Sure. When we were there, as you can see on our recent social media, we saw a really nice old church, or we saw the church in Simwesamen. The Church of St. Nicholas was first mentioned in writing in 1161. At the time, it was probably just a small fisherman's chapel, uh, according to the Church of Sweden's website and archaeological work being done there. The nave was completed in the 13th century and the arches were built in the 15th century. At the end of the Middle Ages, a few other building projects were finished there. We saw a cool plaque there too, commemorating the vicar of the Simrisham congregation from the time when Skorna became Swedish again in the 1650s. He had the honour of being the last Danish vicar and the first Swedish one after the changeover. He stayed in his job and actually had another 20 or 30 years, because I think it was 1588 or something, the plaque said he died or stopped doing his job. Always something to go down in history as the last Danish and the first Swedish vicar. Now, between Ystad and Simrisamen, or in fact all along the coast of Skåne, there is a very physical reminder of the region's uh, precarious location historically, and one that I know you find very interesting, Chris. Uh, tell us about the Per Albin Hansson line. Well, we mentioned this in our other special episode about Sweden during World War II because the Per Arwin Hansson line is named after Sweden's Prime Minister who was in office from 1932 to 1946 and it's a 500-kilometre-long line of fortifications built all along the South Swedish coast beginning in 
in Borstad on the border of Skorna and Halland. I'm running all along the coast of Skorna and a bit into the coast of Blekinger. And these fortifications, uh, that might be too grand a word sometimes, because they vary quite a bit along the coast. Most of them are bunkers intending to house between 24 and 48 men, or they're intended to be the site of a machine gun nest, or in some cases even cannons or coastal artillery. The, the distance between all of these individual bunkers and fortifications also varies depending on the geography of the site and the terrain, but the general idea is that no fortification is so far away way that you can't run there pretty quickly from the neighbouring one. All in all, the line consists of 1,100 of these fortifications and bunkers. They were built during the freezing cold winter of 1939-1940, and whilst it was never stated that it was built to protect Sweden from invasion from any particular country, well, you just have to look at the map and see that Germany is right on the other side of the sea. And they were busy invading a lot of other countries at the same time. So the, Yeah, they, yeah. They, they got up to some invading in the early, late 30s, early 40s, I suppose. Nowadays, the vast majority of these fortifications are still there, just sitting like huge great big blobs on the beaches or on the sand dunes. And they're all sealed off and emptied, so you can't actually go in them. But instead, people climb on top of them because they get nice and warm and toasty when the sun shines on them in the summer. And so you can sit there and sunbathe, which we saw people doing the other day. Yeah. The main reason that they're still there after 70 years and don't really serve a purpose anymore is because it's quite simply too difficult and costly to get rid of them. They really were built to last. The minimum requirement was that they should be able to withstand a 15 centimeter artillery shell from coming in from the sea or 50 kilogram bombs dropped from the air. And uh, yeah, they were used until semi-recently, but yeah, they were all taken out of use in the late 80s or so, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. If you want to look up more about the Per Albin Hansson line, it's worth knowing that it was officially called the Skåne line, Skåne linjen, so it might be that you want to use that term when looking it up. And if you ever visit the coast of Skåne and you wonder what the odds of grey blobs, the odd bunkers are, well, then you know, you uh, are free to climb up on them and... Uh, uh, sit in the toasty sunshine, but they were once there for military purpose. And that's kind of uh, the end of this whistle-stop tour at the moment of Skorna. Um, we were reminded recently by a uh, fellow poster on our social media page that we wrote an article about Glimmingerhus mm -hmm. uh, Museum for the website Mainly Museums a couple of years ago. So if you just want to find that, you can uh, just search for Flatpak History Sweden Chris Orsa Mainly Museums, um, if it's too hard to spell Glimmingerhus. And we've left one special bit of this tour just on our social media, so it's a little bit of a nudge mm -hmm. for you to go onto our social media to get a bit of a bonus place that we visited and find out about the man who was Secretary General of the United Nations way back in the 50s and 60s, who was Swedish. Now, talking of going forward in terms of the 
preparations for the next couple of weeks of the podcast. We are going to try to be back in two weeks with a new chronological episode where we get to see what King Magnus gets up to next time after his defeat at the Battle of Visby, or at least Sweden's defeat. He wasn't there himself. But there's plenty more medieval inter-Nordic and inter-royal drama to come for sure. Um, but we're not entirely sure if we're going to be able to make that deadline or not. We've got to go to the UK for another wedding and there's other stuff, travels and work. And it's yeah. the Swedish celebration of Midsummer was a couple of days ago, if you're listening to this on the release date on Sunday. So uh, there's bits and pieces coming. We'll just have to see how we go. Uh, yep. It might be one or maybe two weeks late, but just keep in touch uh, with our social media to see if there's going to be any delay. Hello everyone, it's Chris here doing the editing and I'm just going to pop in a comment here to say that we will definitely have to take a release week off uh, because of all this drama and the travelling and stuff. We're basically not going to be at home for the next couple of weeks so we're going to just skip a release uh, in two weeks time. So that means that the episode that was due to come out on the 10th of July will just be pushed back to the 24th of July. And uh, hopefully from then on, we will be back on track. Although we are away for the first two weeks of August as well. But hopefully we should be able to get two episodes done in that time so that the 24th of July will be the next episode and then we'll stick to two weeks going forward. So yeah, so don't panic when there's nothing out on the 10th of July. We'll be back just two weeks after that. Uh, take a bit of a summer holiday from listening to a flat pack history of Sweden and maybe catch up on some of the other podcasts you listen to. And we'll see you on the 24th of July. Thanks. Bye. But before we wrap up this episode, we have two new five-star reviews that we would like to read out. Chris, do you want to go first? Sure. Five stars not to be missed. And uh, I'm going to read it out. It says, from all the available flat pack histories of Sweden out there... <laughs> This is the one you should put on your regular listening diet. I'm up to episode 54 and amazed by all that I knew nothing about. Many, many thank yous to Orso and Chris for the work and dedication they put into the podcast. I very much enjoyed the show and learned a tremendous amount by following along. And that's from GK Moober by uh, Apple Podcasts. That was from uh, the United States. Thank you very much for that. And then we got a five-star review big fan from canada wrote you guys on facebook but it's time for my five stars big fan from ontario canada love to spend my workday driving my transport truck and listening to a great show about the history of sweden you both bring an amazing vibe and i'll recommend this show to history lovers everywhere Little hidden message on my Facebook message you might get a kick out of. Cheers from across the pond. And that's from Umno via Apple Podcasts. Yes, uh, that's from Canada. And we indeed got in touch with uh, the writer of that review on Facebook. I'm sure they won't mind saying that their name was Paul. So hello, Paul. Thank you so much for the review and for chatting with us on Facebook. We were talking about all kinds of things like the tradition of surnames in Sweden, among other things, because uh, as we've seen a lot throughout history and even today, we have people in Sweden who have surnames like Orsas, which is Svensson, which means son of Sven or Gustafsson, son of Gustaf. 
This tradition goes back to way back when, and uh, also knows that in her family, the surname Svensson comes from her great-grandfather's grandfather being called Sven as a first name, and his son became Svensson. And since then, it's been the family name. So that Sven was the last person to pass on his first name as a surname, so to speak. And that would have been sometime in the mid-1800s. And um, that's around the sort of time in general that people in Sweden stopped doing that. But of course, in places like Iceland, it's still very much the tradition today to have the surname coming from your parents' name. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I'm not. I should have been Thomas Dotter yeah. if that continued on. But instead, I get to be Svensson. So thank you very much for those reviews. In general, we've had lots of lovely messages and comments on social media lately. And we just want to thank all of you who've written and let us know how much you like the podcast and let us know what your connection to Sweden is, if you have any. It's really lovely to hear from uh, you listeners. So thank you for taking the time to do that. Yes, and the same goes to all the uh, other podcasters who get in touch every now and then, including uh, one recently, which is it's tough being a podcaster because you you have, I don't know who that makes it sound like, it's one of the hardest things. Oh to, yeah, it's so it, hard. We it. get to read lots of interesting stuff about history and then uh, record it and stay in touch with lovely people around the world. Yeah, but what, what we were meaning was that the toughest bit is uh, is not having too much time to listen to other podcasts. Mm. So uh, and someone got in touch. It was the History of Sacatuelo or Georgia, the country of Georgia, who uh, just started listening to our podcast and got in touch. So shout out to them if they've uh, caught up with us. And I was just thinking this very morning we were have given a shout out by something called the Bear Archives, as in the B-E Archives, because it's about bears. And uh, they're reviewing and recommending three different audio dramas, three plays and three history podcasts each week. And they've said they've spent the last six or seven years listening to podcasts and apparently they listen to over 800 podcasts, which is a ridiculous amount of podcasts. We were honoured to be chosen as one of the first three podcast recommendations from the Bearchives and uh, we'll just read it out because it's great and it says a flat pack history of Sweden we might all think we know about Sweden and Vikings but in reality it's a place of so much more a uh, flat pack history of Sweden starts early stone age early and presses forward showing the listener every aspect of life as it developed in Sweden how Sweden interacted with the world and how the culture we know or we think we know today developed I'm only about seven episodes into the podcast so far but I'm blown away by how engaging and interactive it feels. It feels informal, conversational, but still full of information and knowledge that I didn't have before. And uh, yeah, so that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for that brilliant review. And to show you how great and how honoured we are, we were shared with the Ancient World podcast and Roman Emperor's Totalis Rankium, which is probably my favourite podcast. That uh, is a huge honour, because let me tell you, I go to bed with Robin Jamie almost every night yeah. uh, not literally uh, metaphorically in the they're on in the room because chris listens to them when he goes to sleep and since we share a bed that means that i listen to them and uh, i think i've subconsciously gathered so much information about roman emperors through uh, falling asleep to uh, the amazing podcast that is to talus rankium 
And we both listen to the president's podcast that they do too. Oh yeah, I, I'm awake for that one because I, <laughs> I would say I'm more interested in American presidents than I am in. Uh, I find ancient history a bit uh, difficult sometimes to uh, to wrap my head around. So it was a real honor to be on that list from Bear Kives. But with that being said, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, We hope we'll be back before too long with a regular episode. But keep checking our social media where we'll post about any delays or anything that might uh, be going on because of our move and our travels this summer. Yes, do stay in touch and thank you for listening. Hey, Dale. Goodbye.